Welcome, everyone, to the latest episode of The Graw Pod. I'm Doug Graw here again with Gary Randall. Gary, welcome back. Looking forward to today's discussion. Thanks, Doug. I am as well. I think we've got a pretty good guest for folks. Yeah, I think it's a timely discussion. We're recording this on March 1st, and unfortunately, some very sad stuff going out in the world. We're talking about Ukraine and Russia. Not that that's the only part of the world facing these kind of troubles, but it definitely is front and center in the news. Something that's come up in all of this aggression from Russia is you're hearing a lot of reports of cyber activity is up as well. There's the stereotype, and I think it's a rightfully earned stereotype that a lot of ransomware attacks and various hacking attacks come from Russia. It is my understanding, again, just from reading some of the news, is that those attacks are increasing. And we've got a great guest here today to kind of talk through a little bit about that. And more importantly, just, hey, you're a small to medium-sized trucking and logistics company. What should you be thinking about when it comes to a little bit about prevention, a little bit about what to do? do if something happens. We're excited to have Nate Johnson with us. Nate is the founder, president, CEO, Grand Poobah, whatever you want to call it, of our good friends over at GLCS. Nate, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks a lot, Doug. I prefer Grand Poobah. It's on my (laughs) business cards. We appreciate it, Nate. And correct us if we're wrong here, but are we crazy? I feel like I'm hearing a lot in the news that activity has always been high, but it might be getting a little bit higher right now with what's going on in the world. Yeah, I think everyone's cautious. We've stepped up our countermeasures, I guess is the best word for it at this point. There's some basic items that you can do above and beyond what you already have in place. Assuming you already have a plan, we're going to make an assumption that most of the companies out there have addressed this already. But if they haven't, we can discuss kind of what the basic mediation strategies would be if you haven't done anything. Nate, let's maybe take a step back for a second. Your organization provides a lot of great services to transportation companies. A lot of them are surround technology. Can you walk us through kind of what you guys do? And then we'll kind of talk into when you first get called in to work with customers and maybe if it's something on the security side, what are some of the things that you're looking for? Some of the questions that you're asking early on? So PLCS initiated as a management consultancy first. We then quickly evolved into a technology consultancy, and that's the core of our business is technology, and that is specifically to transportation and logistics providers and the companies that support them. So not only do we work with brokerages, supply chain companies, shippers, truck lines, but we work with technology companies that support them. So your mobile com ELD providers, they're our customers, that type of thing. We will assist companies with their technology roadmaps, determine if they're using the technology that they have. Do they need to purchase new technology? Which technology does that need to be? How do you deploy it? Once they've determined that they have something in place that they need to use, they're not using it appropriately, or they need to purchase something new, we will help them deploy it and we'll help them support it, which has kind of led us into the evolution of the company to where we've expanded into managed IT, and that is managed IT only for transportation logistics providers. We also offer kind of a boutique service where we offer support for particular software or services, not full-blown managed IT where we're your entire IT department, but we may support your TMS or ancillary services to your TMS. In our third division, we do development and integrations as well. What I hear out a lot of that is a ton of good that you can do, but I'm thinking of, so right now in the industry, there is so much 
freight. There's so much room for growth. There's so many opportunities out there, but technology is becoming more and more. You have to be a player. You have to have some technology to be able to serve today's customers. If I'm a smaller company, a medium-sized company, and I don't necessarily know how to go to that next level, I can reach out to GLCS and you guys can really kind of hold my hand and coach me and guide me along about where to make investments and not just throw money at the problem, but to how to target and strategically advance your technology. The mid-sized truck line today, and especially the small truck line today, is against a Herculean task of trying to decipher the technology that's in front of them. So you look at anything complicated in the way of technology. It does not matter what system we're talking about. It is complex. Your ELD provider, your imaging provider, your hardware. So just simply your purchase plan of your desktops. What's the best way to go? Cloud services. These are the topics that come up on a day-to-day basis, and we help guide all of our clients through that path. So what's the best course of action for them? What's the best solution to fit their requirements? If they don't know what the requirements are, we'll help identify them as well. Nate, one of the things that's most exciting that we hear when we talk to you and your folks is the fact that not only can you provide the right tool for the carrier, but you also take the time and have the strategy strategy input to make sure that they're actually using what they purchase. One of the things that Doug and I see often in potential clients is that it's not for lack of spend. The owner's been willing to invest in the technology, but at the desktop level on the operations floor, it's really not getting utilized to its full potential. So I think that's a great service that I believe you guys offer as well. Absolutely. That's kind of the whole package is, first off, what are your requirements? What's the best solution out there for you? And we're typically going to go find one of many and bring that to review with the client. And then once selected, implement that product once implemented, we're going to implement to those requirements we originally identified and hold the vendor and the clients. I think it's important to understand that many times the vendor is not the party at fault. So many times it's the client or the customer, the truck line, the broker that isn't committing all in to implementation or doing what they need to do to actually implement appropriately. So we're going to hold those people accountable or those companies accountable to those initial requirements. Requirements. And then once implemented, 100 truck fleet or 150 truck fleet or a 30 person brokerage, you don't necessarily want one of your agents or brokers or dispatchers making a decision around your TMS settings. So we offer that service in the way of managed IT or application support. They can forward that on to us and we'll take into account the impact to the entire organization by throwing settings. Everyone that works in our organization comes from transportation for the most part. We've grown to the point now where some of our developers are not coming out of transportation, but all of our BAs, all of our support team, everyone's been a dispatcher or been an IT staff at a truck line for a period of time or been a director of IT for a truck line or been an ops manager. Everybody understands the difference between the front of the truck and the back of the truck and where the freight goes in. I'm still trying to figure that part out, but I think I'm getting it. Fair enough. (laughs) What I'm hearing is really you guys can be partners. And I know, Gary, that you've had to deal with a variety of different kinds of disaster recoveries over the years. And I know that when you've gone into clients, maybe not always the very first thing that you're being asked to address or to look into, but relatively early on, there's going to be some questions about, well, what do we do if this happens? 
And it can be everything from small scale stuff, little outage for a couple hours to bigger, kind of more of the ransomware kind of stuff. Gary, what are maybe some takeaways, some tips that you might have for, hey, I've been in operations. I've seen systems go down. When we've had success, it was because of this and this. What are some of those things? When there was a successful outcome, it was usually because there had been some preparation ahead of time. And that covers everything from replacing staff. So if someone's not not able to get in there. Let's say there's a bad weather event and half your staff can't come in that day. It starts at that level where you've got to have trained folks that can come in and back up other positions. It begins with preparation and that preparation goes from your staffing to your systems to all the other pieces that we've talked about earlier in this conversation. I think that it's important to make sure that you've got an understanding of you've got a certain amount of data that you can get your hands on, even if the system isn't working. So as simple as, can you get a hold of your drivers? Do you have cell phone numbers for those drivers? Do you have home contacts for those drivers? The same is true with your shippers. How do you get through to your shippers? If the EDI system is down, how can you receive freight? How can you schedule that freight? So you've got to think about those things through preparation. Then I think when the event happens, you're really trying to identify, okay, what can't we do? So there's this identification piece, which is really the second step. And it's, what is this issue causing us problems with? What can't we do today? And then at that point, let's make sure that we're taking care of what we can do. And at least we've got that part handled. That allows us to focus on the area that we need to develop some recovery to. It could be a systems thing, could be a staffing thing, but it has everything to do with either people or information, one of the two. So you've got to have a recovery plan in place there. And then I think when it's all said and done and you've got a successful outcome, you come out of it okay. Then at that point, you do an autopsy. You look at it and you say, okay, what happened? Were we prepared for that kind of an issue? If we were, yes. If we weren't, what would we have to do to be better prepared next time? So then you learn from those opportunities as well. You're right on the money on having the correct, I call them preventative measures, right? You gotta have the plan. Everything is about the plan plan. And I think we kind of exchanged a few emails ahead of time. Having the appropriate plan and infrastructure in our sales discussion with prospects, call it building a castle. The bigger the castle you build, the better attack you can handle, the better response you're going to have. A great example, and I like to bring this up a lot in response to what you just kind of brought up, Gary, was when Western Express got hit by a tornado a few years ago. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. They lost 30 minutes of data and they were up and running in a matter of a short period of time. They had a disaster plan. The gentleman that was running IT at the time, David Civils, he had a disaster plan or Western Express had a disaster plan that was just exemplary. Western Express came out of that from an infrastructure standpoint and a data standpoint came out of that where they did not go out of business. They did not miss much. Horrible event, lost everything from a building standpoint, but from data, they lost 30 minutes. So that's a great case study to your point, Gary, where if you have the right plan and you have the right people, you can literally lose your building and all of your equipment and still come out of it with very little loss of data and be up and running and dispatching in a short period of time. One of the opportunities that some carriers have is if they have multiple terminals, being able to have some mirrored systems or some backup at each one of those terminals. An example would be a carrier that Doug and I worked at had a building fire. It was a big enough fire where the building had to be evacuated and literally 
literally by the time the fire trucks arrived to start to put the fire out, the trucks were being dispatched out of one of the other terminals. The drivers had no knowledge that anything had even happened because the system worked. The people had been trained. We had prepared for something like that, hoping that we never had to use it. But when we did, it certainly was successful. And when we looked at the numbers at the end of the week, we had a pretty big event that happened to us early in the week. And by the end of the week, it didn't show up in the revenue numbers. I think that was the telltale sign that in that particular instance, the planning really saved us. When it comes down to preventative measures, typically speaking, I mean, you can have a catastrophic event, which most of those can be mitigated. Obviously, weather and unforeseen circumstances, weather can even be mitigated by cloud services and not keeping hardware on premise these days. But looking at the cyber attack side, you look at about 95% of your security breaches today are the account of human error. So your largest defense to cyber attacks is actually education. Keeping that in mind, educating employees on top of all of that, beyond the correct infrastructure, beyond keeping your hardware up to date and having that plan is simply training people not to open the email that looks weird. Someone's signature looks off, double check it. We get that all the time from clients where on occasion you get an email signature that looks just a little bit different and you look into it, it's coming from a different URL. So we adjust it and they don't get those anymore. There's a lot of email attacks that come in that way and all it takes is one user making one click and you're now open. Well said, Nate, that training is huge and it has to be repetitive, but not just with new employees, but also with existing employees. I know some clients do some testing of that and send out some emails to see if they can catch some people. If you get caught, you got to go through some extra training. It sounds like, oh, come on, do we really need to do that? But no, you do. You're exactly right. It's the biggest way to prevent something bad from happening to your system. I definitely encourage clients out there, train your folks, talk to them regularly on that cyber security. And and that can go just in general, how do we treat data? How do we treat confidential information? How do we treat our systems to make sure we're being good stewards of all of our resources? Nate, in addition to good training, let's keep talking about this prevention. Gary let out some good plans, but what else? What else can we be doing to prevent an event? Well, it's definitely important to keep in mind that no matter what you do, you're never completely immune to any cyber attack. As we talked earlier, all it takes is a click of a button, human error, and you're now exposed. But certainly a strong security program, safe password practices, web filtering is something that we're pressing forward with most of our clients. Controlling privileged accounts, that means if you give someone access to your environment, you're controlling what they have access to. Keeping your hardware, well, specifically your hardware and software patched. And then as we spoke earlier, that data backup and recovery plan. Now, this is where it gets big. There is no way to recover from a ransomware attack without paying the ransom, except for a solid data backup or recovery plan. If you do not have a data backup plan that's solid, you're going to be paying for it or you're going to lose your data. So that being said, that's where it gets expensive from the infrastructure around your backup plan. Now, your backups can be tape backup. It can be multiple drives. It can be redundancy. It can be a SAN. It can be groups of that as you get into cloud services, which is typically what we recommend. And in many cases, I ask business owners, how long do you want to be down for So whether it's an attack or you just simply go down, 
for an unforeseen circumstance, how long do you want to be down for? What's your acceptable downtime? And most truck line owners say 10 minutes. They don't want to be down at all. So that's feasible, but the less amount of time you want to be down, that costs more. You can have virtually zero downtime. That just costs a lot of money. The more redundant you are, the larger the cost that may be. So really building up that castle that I was talking about and the walls around it creates you less likely to be attacked because it's harder to get through you. If you are attacked and successfully attacked, the likelihood of downtime and the likelihood of you being unable to come back up without having to pay a ransom where is much greater. So you're going to have a much better chance of being able to come back up without having to pay a substantial amount of money. In those scenarios, definitely if you're considering paying that ransom where, don't explore the option of hiring a hacker, especially one that's not a securities expert that has a company around that. Don't pay criminals to try to unlock your data. That's not a good idea. Don't pay the hacker to unlock your data. It's just in general a bad idea. Let's keep going there, Nate. You built the castle. The client followed your advice and built up a good castle that you and the client both feel good about. But like you said, there's no such thing as 100% prevention. And something still happens. An attack still happens. What do we do? You got the oh, whatever moment. What's going on and what should happen? What are some of those first steps in your world? And then Gary could talk a little bit about in your world. So unfortunately, most of the time for your small to mid-sized truck lines, you're not going to realize it happened until the next morning. If you have 24-hour dispatch, you want your night dispatch to understand what to look for. You go to a Word document, something's weird. You see some strangeness in your environment. You're seeing a bog in your network, meaning that it's slowing down exponentially. You have some oddities and behaviors. So there's going to be some leading indicators that you're being attacked. If you don't have night dispatch, and to be honest with you, we've had zero instance or maybe one instance where we've had someone come to us where they've caught it as it's happening. Usually it's the next morning that they've reached out to us and said, hey, we've been attacked and we need assistance. And by then it's usually too late to try to intercept it. If you do intercept it, the first thing you need to do is go to your primary or your core switch. We're going to get a little technical here, probably more so than we want to, but everyone who has keys to the server room should know where your core switch is. So you just go in there and you pull the power cord, you shut everything off. And then you immediately try to shut off the internet to your facility. Effectively, whoever's on it needs to understand how to do this. So shut the switch off, shut the internet off. By doing so, they don't have access to your servers. And you're going to be down. That's a lot better than them locking your data down. Because when you come back up, when the people who are there who can actually control the situation, they can contain what's going on and not allow it to advance. The lockdown that's happening cannot expand as wide, potentially. This is always a potentially. It's kind of like a zombie apocalypse, right? Everybody starts chewing on everybody else and it goes wide fairly quickly. So there's a lot more that can go with that. If you are cloud-based, there's lots of other things that have to be done, like locking down your firewall, disabling RDP servers, or if your Citrix is usually a little bit easier to deal with than that. And then you're going to have IT staff locate the source of the issue or the infection and quarantine it. And then you're going to look to your data restoration plan that you've, as Gary had pointed out earlier, you're going to look at that. You're going to bring the systems back online. But these systems today are getting smarter and smarter 
starters, they may sit on your server for days, weeks, or months. So your backup may have picked it up a long time ago, and it may be sitting there for some period of time. Unfortunately, in some instances, you may restore a scenario where the infection is actually being restored. But that's a scenario where ultimately, from an operator standpoint, if you're dispatch or whomever, it's getting the internet shut off as quickly as possible. Really just disabling your servers as soon as possible and the communication to and from your servers. Gary, you're hearing an event occur. Somebody on your team is saying something's wonky with the system. You've made the call to the IT folks and they're five alarm fire. They're doing everything they got to do. What are you doing on the freight side, the customer side, the driver side to kind of calm the waters? The first thing you're doing is you're trying to identify what freight you have in play. So there's a certain amount of your freight that is going to be moving down the road at the time this system goes down. Those drivers are going to stop for fuel. They're going to have other issues that they're going to need to talk to the carrier about. So you got to identify who is under a load right now and where are they going. The second thing you've got to do is you've got to understand what loads do we have that are staged that need to be picked up next so that you can start to identify those customers and contact those customers and let them know that there could be a delay in the truck coming in because you're having a specific issue. The third thing that you would do is you'd make sure you were reaching out to all your drivers that are active, that are out there expecting to be able to go to work that day and explaining to them what's happening. It's much easier if by fleet, you can reach out and get a hold of them than having them panic and all of a sudden all start to call in and all start to reach you at the same time. So in order to do that, there's probably some simple things. Nate mentioned this type of thing could happen overnight. If you've got 24-hour dispatch, your night dispatch group needs to know how to go in and pull the plug, so to speak. But the other thing that needs to happen is they need to get on the telephone. and There should be an established calling tree for your staff so that they can call and reach out to the employees and you can schedule the employees to come in earlier so that you're pretty well down the road in terms of identifying how bad the situation is by the time the sun comes up in the morning. And the same is true on the other end of the shift. If something like this is happening at the end of the traditional daytime shift, then you've got to have people scheduled that are going to be willing to stay in there and work through these issues, even though they've probably already worked a full day. Yeah, I think both of you hit on some really strong points of what you got to do to keep the business functioning and keep moving forward. And it's great advice. In the interest of time, I'll just kind of hit on a couple other things for folks to keep in mind, because you are going to also have to look at some of the risk matters and some of the legal matters. If you do have cyber insurance of any kind, you're going to have to at least know who are your contacts at the cyber security insurer know what it covers and what it doesn't. There are various types of cybersecurity insurance out there. There's no such thing as just kind of like one policy that covers everything anymore. There's some that are more on the restoration side. There's some that are more on the paying claim side and paying for violating people's data and so on. So make sure you know what you have and who your contact information is there. I think, and Nate can correct me if I'm wrong here, but also on the IT side, you're going to have experts in how do we get the system going again, but there are also experts on more of the forensic side, what happened, because that also might be a part of the law enforcement that might be getting involved. There's not just one IT guy and call that one IT guy and it's all fixed. There are different specialties and expertise within there. And you're going to want to know who those resources are ahead of time and have that contact information set aside. Nate, anything you want to add there? Correct. There's definitely forensic experts. And the way we've used the term is we are not masters 
of cybersecurity. But I think every managed IT organization is an expert on cybersecurity. And we have many people on staff that are. So it's a topic that I think many of our staff speak about daily. But we are not a forensic expert. We're not going to dissect the scenario. Our job is to assist you in building that castle and providing the vendors that you work with to build that castle. Our job is to, if you are experiencing an attack, assist in mitigating that attack and then getting you back live as quickly as possible. After that, certainly there's also a variety of law firms that fall in here as well with the cyber insurance. Typically, they're going to provide forensic experts as well if it gets that large. Unfortunately, when the one, two, three, four hundred truck fleet and the revenue size that you get with that, you're going to find that there's not a lot of activity on the law enforcement side there, unfortunately. If you are in the larger company side, you may or may not see any activity from the law enforcement side, but we've had plenty of $100 million companies that we've spoken with. Typically, they reach out to us after an attack where they get very little discussion with the FBI on anything. Sometimes they have cyber insurance, sometimes they don't. We do recommend everyone has a discussion with a provider on that. And one thing to clarify, typically speaking in these events, when you're talking law enforcement, you're typically talking FBI. Possibly you're talking with a different arm of law enforcement, but usually that's going to be your stop. Well, in the interest of time, I'm going to wrap us up today. Thank you, Nate, for joining us. Thank you, Gary, as always. I think if there's one takeaway that I have from today's discussion is have a plan. Build that good castle. Test that castle from time to time with your plan. Have that plan for how you're going to defend yourself, but also how you're going to get things going again. Oh, by the way, if your plan is entirely electronic, that might be a flaw itself. You do need to have some phone numbers written down on pieces of paper so that people know what to do and people know, Gary, do you have this? Nate, do you have this? Who's responsible for this or that? Gary, any takeaways you want to add there? No, I think you covered it, Doug. I think it's you build the castle, you organize the plan, and then you test the plan. Well said. Well, thank you everyone for the time. Again, thank you, Nate, for joining us. Thank you to the whole team at GLCS. We really enjoy working with you guys and thank you for the advice. Be safe out there, everyone, and let's hope there's an end to the troubles out east for all of our friends in the industry that are impacted. So thank you, everyone. Be safe.